0: is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here, and uh, you are some of my favorite people in the world. I just thought you should know that this morning. Th- thank you for joining us. I want you to talk to each other for just a second about famous duos. Famous pairs or partnership from, you know, history or literature or film, whatever. Okay, talk to your neighbor. If someone's by themselves, make sure you include them. Famous duos. Go ahead and talk about that. Okay, some of you have thought of some. Are you willing to share, shout out a few famous Batman and Robin Robin. awesome who Samson and Delilah good way to be spiritual on it Sonny and Cher Abbott and Costello yeah okay I've got a couple of others see some of these depend on your generation if you get them or not but Starsky and Bert and all right good someone had that one Fred Astaire and all right good Fred Flintstone and all right Beavis and okay good (laughs) peanut butter and okay great okay there are some famous biblical duos Adam and Cain and David and Jonah and the whale okay all right all this to get us to the new series We are going to be studying the book of Jonah for the next four weeks. We're going to spend about a week on each chapter, and we're going to discover that the story is not about Jonah and the whale. It's about something completely different. So I'm going to invite you into this by reading chapter 1 with me today. And it's super helpful if you've got a Bible or your phone to read it with, and then to leave it open as I go through the message, because I'm going to be referring back to it frequently. Jonah chapter 1. So... Open up your the Word and um, follow along with me, Jonah, one. Okay, before we read this together, I'll um, I want to pray this prayer for you. The Lord be with you. Jonah one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. All the sailors were afraid, each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, And they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So they cried out to the Lord, "'Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased.' Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord.' And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. What are you afraid of? I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and mention a couple things that scare you. Okay? Go ahead. And Again, if someone's by themselves, include them in your little conversation. What scares you? Okay, according to surveys, the top fear for most people is public speaking. To have to stand up in front of a group. The number 2 fear for most people death. So, the comedian Jerry Seinfeld once commented on this, and I was shocked to hear in the first service, someone actually knew the quote before I gave it, but what he said was this, does that mean for the average person if you go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than giving the eulogy? (laughs) Okay, so our fears don't necessarily make sense. I also discovered in the first service that there was someone here who is deathly afraid of sharks, so much so that they have difficulty even going into a swimming pool. So our fears don't always make a lot of sense, do they? But it does seem like we have a lot of fears, and we need to name that, and we need to actually recognize that fear is a gift. Fear is given to us to respond when there's something that's dangerous, if something is threatening. And there's actually a process wired into our bodies that helps us respond to a calamity or a disaster so that our bodies, when we are frightened, are flooded with adrenaline and endorphins, things like that, that make us prepared to react, which leads to another famous duo. If you're flooded with these chemicals, what are your two most common reactions? Either fight or flight, flight. right. So this is part of how we're wired, and it protects us in the short term. If we're afraid for a short period of time, we're wired for this, but we are not wired for long-term fear, We're not longer to hold fear within us for a long period of time in this heightened state because it actually is destructive to us as individuals and as a community to live like that, which is kind of difficult nowadays because it seems like many of us are living in a kind of constant state of fear, that we're always currently at least ready for the next catastrophe the next crisis the next emergency the next problem to come upon us that there's this kind of heightened sense of awareness fear is on the rise and we could blame a lot of different reasons for this maybe you mentioned some of these when you named your fears but you know covid pandemic stuff creates fear government corruption or government ineffectiveness illnesses um Threats to the environment, loss of income, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of those who are different than us, fear of people who are culturally or politically different than us or having to have a conversation with people who are different than us. There's a lot of fears that are driving. So that It feels like we're living in this heightened state of fear right now. One social commentator that I read this week described our state of fear this way. He said, Boomers are afraid of getting old. Millennials are afraid that they are not special, and Gen Z is afraid of everything. Now maybe we're all starting to move in that direction, where it seems like we're constantly in a state of fear. So what we want to do over the next four weeks is we want to like, explore that. What are these fears we're having, and what can we do about that? And we're going to do it by digging into one fear that hardly ever gets mentioned by anyone. The fear of the Lord. And we're going to discover that actually the fear of the Lord is essential to drive out all of our other fears. That if we don't have a proper fear of the Lord, then, then we got a problem. And all these other fears may be stemming from a lack of fear of the Lord. So our text for this is going to be the story of Jonah, which is a story that's way bigger than just Jonah and the whale. And we're going to do uh, the first chapter today. So as we look into Jonah 1, a, just a couple of quick background things. First of all, Jonah was living and wrote these things about 750 years before Christ. So we're a long time ago. It was written in a time when God's people were facing a, a difficulty and when that happened, God sent a word to a prophet or to a leader to help God's people out of that. And Jonah actually received two words from God. The first one is much less famous than this one. The first one is described in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. In the midst of this crisis, God's people are described this way. The affliction of Israel was bitter. They were facing such a difficult time that God's people were afraid and God saw this fear he saw this bitter moment in the history of people and so he sent a word to Jonah and the word was tell the people that I'm going to save them I'm going to rescue them from this time and so Jonah gave that word to the people and then God kept his promise so the people were saved so Jonah was a hero this is the first time the word of the Lord came to Jonah The second time God used Jonah is this more familiar story which is described in these four chapters of Jonah and it starts by saying this the word of the Lord came to Jonah this is exactly what happened to him the first time the word of the Lord came to him and this time God said go to the great city Nineveh and preach against them because its wickedness has come up before me now Nineveh was the capital of the nation of Assyria. And if, if anyone's a student of history, you'll know this about the Assyrians. They were ruthless people. They were savage people. They were notorious for their wickedness. Now, they weren't the only ones throughout history who've been famous for this, but they were infamous for this. The favorite pursuit of the Assyrian kings was this. The favorite of all the things they could do, their favorite thing was go to war. They liked to go after everybody else who was their neighbors. The Assyrian people applauded them for doing this. They were merciless. They loved to go to war. And the Assyrian army was savage. And we have historical records of the kinds of things they did, like impaling their enemies on stakes, chopping off body parts, murdering children, raping women, burning cities. This is the kind of thing they love to do. They lived for this, and because of this savage cruelty of this pagan nation, the the people of God hated the Assyrians. They hated them. And the word of the Lord, which was rare in those days, comes to Jonah with this message. Jonah, go to them. Go to Nineveh, go to the Assyrians, and preach against them. But Jonah ran away. This is how the story starts. The word of the Lord comes, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship bound for that port, paid his fare, went aboard and fell asleep. Now if we think Jonah might have been thrilled to be used by God again, we're mistaken. I mean, I think it might be an exciting thing to say, I got a word of the Lord and I I shared the word to God's people and God's promise came through and I'm a hero. So the next time God's word comes, you think I might be excited to go do God's word. But no, Jonah goes in the opposite direction actually for reference when Jonah got the word of the Lord he was about 500 miles east of the port where he got on the ship and Tarshish is about 2,000 miles west of the port so basically what Jonah did was he went as far as he could in the opposite direction from what God was telling him to do. and This is the first major twist in the story. If you were a prophet and God spoke to you once before and that was successful, now God is speaking to you again, what would you do? But Jonah ran away. Far away. And if you're like me, you wonder... What was Jonah thinking? Why would he do that? One commentator pointed out uh, that Jonah actually lived a couple of hundred years before King David, so that means he lived before the book of, uh, no, a hundred years after King David, after the book of the Psalms was written. And we know this is the case because when we get to chapter 2 next week, we're going to discover that in his prayer from the whale, he actually quotes six different pieces of psalms. So he knows the psalms. So Jonah no doubt knew Psalm 139. He's a religious man, a religious leader. He would have known Psalm 139, which says things like this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Jonah knows better. He knows that he can't get away from God. He knows that wherever he goes, God is going to be there. And yet, Jonah ran away. And actually it says, he, what he was really fleeing was he was fleeing the presence of the Lord which is a a fascinating concept throughout Scripture, that there's times when God's people are drawn to the presence of the Lord, and these are usually described as special places where God is uh, thought to be more active and more real to the people. Not that God isn't everywhere, but that there are those times and places, haven't you experienced it, where God feels more real, where his presence is more powerful? And in the Old Testament, those settings were often... Uh, in the tabernacle first of all and then later in the temple and then later they have these high places where they make sacrifices to the Lord and these are the places where God comes close to his people it's called they're they're described as being in the presence of the Lord Jonah what he's fleeing is he's really fleeing this presence he wants to get away from God and the reason is because he's just been told what to do and now he's going to disobey He's going to do his own plan. He's going to go his own direction, make his own path. He's not going to Nineveh. And as soon as he makes that decision, what, is, what happens within him? I don't want to be near God. I don't want to be near the things of God. I don't want to be near the people of God. I'm not following God. I'm going to flee from his presence. I think that's really what's going on in this description about Jonah trying to get away. He's trying to get as far away as he can from the place where he thinks he's going to have to face God. Isn't this what we do when we disobey God? when we don't follow his plan? If I know I'm going to disobey God, I don't want to be near his presence. I don't want to be near his people. I don't want to be near anything that reminds me of God. This is what Jonah's trying to do. And after Jonah decides to disobey, the story is very clear about what happens to him next. He travels in one direction. I'm going to read the highlights of this, see if you can figure out what direction he goes. Jonah went down to Joppa, He went down to the ship. He went down inside the ship. What direction is Jonah going? This story is very big on ups and downs and direction, what's going on. The wickedness of the people goes up to God. God says, I want you to go there, and instead of Jonah going to do what God says, he goes down, 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 down. This whole story, the first chapter, is Jonah headed down. And it ends with him getting thrown over the edge of the ship, and it says he he plummets to the depth of the sea. When we disobey God, we try to run from him. It's it's happened ever since Adam and Eve. I'm going to flee God's presence. And when we choose to flee God's presence, there's only one direction you can go. Down, down, down. First insight this gave me, or I think gives us from the, about the fear of the Lord, is that when we, we don't have the fear of the Lord, without the fear of the Lord, we flee from His presence. We run from Him. And and this takes us down. There's only one direction. As Jonah is making this flight down, um, he loses grip of reality. He he forgets truth. He forgets that there's no fleeing from God's presence. He forgets that God is watching over him, that you flee to the far side of the sea and, you, and God's hand will still hold you. He loses sight of all this and what happens then is fear sets in or maybe even more fear sets in. You know, there's lots of speculation about why Jonah ran. I tend to lean toward all that speculation that said Jonah's main motivation in fleeing was fear. He was afraid. Now, it's not clear exactly what he was afraid of, but since he's human, he probably was afraid of a lot of things. Maybe he was afraid of the Assyrians. You know, you're sending me to these people who are notoriously evil and wicked and brutal. You want me to go there and preach against them? Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he was afraid of the task that he'd been given. I mean, this is a tall order, and this is not a cushy job, a cushy call. It involves a lot of hardship and traveling, going to a foreign country, doing all this stuff. Maybe he's afraid of that. Maybe he was afraid of his reputation having that soiled. I mean, here's a famous, famous Hebrew prophet declares the word of the Lord, God keeps his promises. Now you're telling me to go to my enemies? How's that going to look for me? Maybe he's afraid of failure, that he's not going to be able to complete this mission, that something's going to sideline him or derail him. Jonah was human, so I suppose that all these fears crossed his mind. And he's got a decision, am I going to fight or flight? And he, he chooses flight. Later in the story, we actually get another insight into some of the motivation for Jonah, maybe another reason why he was afraid. This is, sneak peek ahead, Jonah 4, chapter 2. After God spares the Ninevites, Jonah cries out to God, "Oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, one who relents from doing hard. Jonah saying, I knew you were the kind of God who was going to forgive these people. I think Jonah was afraid at the beginning that God was going to be true to his word and true to his character, that he was going to spare these people, and Jonah thinks they don't deserve to be spared. He doesn't want his enemies saved. He's afraid of seeing his enemies saved. If they're saved, what does that mean about him and his salvation? He thought he earned his salvation. God will save them. God will save anybody. I think there's a lot of fear in Jonah, and this leads him to flee. But he's deluded in his fear, and so even though he runs as far as he can in the opposite direction, God does not let him off the hook. Next verse, 4. But the Lord threw a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. This is filled with twists, but the next twist is the Lord threw this great wind. And the sailors recognize, "Uh, something's going on here. Um, This has got our attention. But it doesn't get Jonah's attention. Verse 5, but Jonah had gone below deck and he'd laid down and he fell into a deep sleep. So the captain has to go find him and says, how can you sleep? How can you sleep at a time like this? We're all about to die. We have all cried out to our own God, so now you cry out to your God. Maybe he'll hear us and we won't perish. But the other sailors are maybe piecing together some parts of this puzzle and they're starting to wonder what's going on here so they want to get to the bottom of it and they cast lots to find out who is responsible and the lot fell on jonah so now they got a scapegoat so they pulled jonah aside and they said to him tell us why this is happening to us tell us who is responsible for this who's making this trouble Tell us what kind of work you do. Tell us where you came from and where is your country and from what people you are. Tell us what you have done to make this happen. And Jonah's answer, verse 9, is classic. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Now there's sometimes when you're reading scripture and it's okay to laugh. I laugh when I hear this statement from Jonah. Yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, a, I'm one of God's chosen, and I fear the Lord. And that is, can you call BS on Scripture? You can you call BS on Jonah? Um, if he feared the Lord, he wouldn't be on this boat right now. If he feared this load, he'd be in Nineveh. He doesn't fear the Lord. He's not acting like he fears the Lord. This is comical, and it's another one of the twists. The, jo- the, the sailors call him on that. And now they start to demonstrate something that Jonah lacks. They start to demonstrate fear of the Lord. They want to hear a word from the Lord. They want to hear God say, what is God going to do about this? Is God going to spare them? Is God going to rescue them or save them? Is God going to do something about Jonah? These pagans, who Jonah no doubt thought had no right to be saved by God, are now becoming very devout. They want to hear from God and in an amazing twist, they start to understand the truth of the situation, which Jonah did not. So the, the second point about the fear of the Lord from this passage is that the fear of the Lord reveals truth. If you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you see things the way they really are. And the sailors start to see what Jonah can't see. They see that God is in control. They see that God does what God wants to do. They see that God has power over the wind and the sea. They see that the fate of the ship is in God's hands. The fate of the sailors is in God's hands. The fate of Jonah is in God's hands. The fate of Nineveh is in God's hands. Our fate is in God's hands. These pagan sailors see this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, what should we do to make the sea calm down? And Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to the land and they could not do it because the sea grew wilder. So then they cried out to the Lord. This is a reversal. They didn't cry out to their own gods again. They cried out to Jonah's God. They cry out to Yahweh and they say, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done just as you pleased. And then after praying and crying out to God, they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the sea grew calm. And listen to what happened next. Verse 16. At this, the sailors greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. This is a complete reversal. Those sailors who had cried out earlier to their own gods now have turned to God and made a sacrifice to him. While Jonah sinks into the depths of the sea, the sailors have just come into the presence of the Lord. This is an amazing thing. They worship. They do the thing that happens when we come near to the Lord. They make a sacrifice. They make vows and promises. They're coming into the presence of the Lord. They see the truth because they have a healthy fear of the Lord. And this brings me to the third insight, which is that the fear of the Lord completely reorders life. The fear of the Lord completely turns everything upside down. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but this? Fear the Lord your God. Walk in obedience to him. Love him and serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God's people knew that a healthy fear of the Lord was that thing that completely reorders how we live. So now we, we don't follow our path, we follow God's path. We obey, we do what he calls us to do. We serve him, we love him with all of our heart. First Chronicles 16, 25, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, he is to be feared above all gods. The sailors figured this out. Proverbs one seven, our memory verse, we sang. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Jonah was a fool. He did not fear the Lord. And the consequence was, down, 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 down. The sailors recognized in the midst of their panic, in the midst of their great fear, they recognized one thing could save them. And what was that? The fear of the Lord. So they cried out to the Lord. They trusted that they were in his hands, and God delivered them. We, as God's people, are called to fear the Lord. This morning in the first service, we had an awesome children's sermon in which... Um, Jana described the fear of the Lord as jaw-dropping awe. We're called to fear the Lord, and when we do, it overcomes all our fears. That's part one of four. Come back next week and hear what happens. Lord God, we give you thanks for the truth of your word and for the work that you're doing here in our midst. Thank you that you send your Holy Spirit upon us to guide us and to uh, strengthen us to follow you, to to give us a fear of the Lord. And we ask that you'll help us to live in that, and we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.